rights. Vindicate me, O Lord. For I have walked in my integrity. And I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, and whose hands is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place in the congregations. I shall bless the Lord. Good morning, Swartz Creek Church of Christ. Wherever you happen to be physically, we are assembling together this morning in spirit and in our hearts. Which ought to remind us that around the country and around the world, every Sunday, there are Christians assembling together, worshiping through the same Savior, studying the same Word. This morning, Anna Morris posted on Facebook and asked what are, I think she said, what are three positive things that you have experienced because of this quarantine? One of the positive things that I have experienced is, in fact, doing something that I really don't like to do, and that's talk on the phone. But I decided that if our church was not going to get together for a month, the church family didn't need to go four weeks without hearing from the preacher or hearing from one of the elders. So I decided I would do something that I don't feel comfortable doing, and that's calling everybody on the phone. So I made 110 phone calls this last week. I talked to 83 people. I left 27 messages on the answering machine. And so when I call you back this next week, if I get the answering machine, I'm going to sing until the answering machine sh shuts off. I have been encouraged by talking to our members and finding out what people are doing because of the lockdown. 
We've got our own members who are making masks for those in the medical field. We've got our own members who are donating masks. We, we have members who are donating gloves. We have members who are uh, providing groceries and delivering things and calling and checking on people. One sister said she was uh, going to call three or four people every day. Another said she was going to call people that are before her and after her in the church directory. And that's great. That's just Christians doing what Christians ought to do. I've been impressed with the faith and trust in God that I've heard on the phone. I've been impressed with people asking me, how is the church doing financially because we're not able to take up contribution? I appreciate that. I appreciate the concern that people express for the church and, of course, for my family. We'll get through this. Today's the second Sunday out of potentially four Sundays. I'm an optimist, so I'm hoping after the, uh, the uh, quarantine the governor has given us that we will really be able to get together again and, and do things that are normal. Nobody knows. Only the God of heaven knows how long the quarantine will last. But we'll make it. Keep calling. Asking for help if you need it. Volunteering help. Several people said, Paul, if somebody needs something, call us and we'll deliver it. Christians being Christians. We pray for our country and for those who are sick, for those who have been impacted, for our medical care workers. Gary Woodard's granddaughter is working as a nurse at Beaumont Hospital. She's right there in the middle of the virus with Detroit being hit so hard. And so we need to pray for her and her health and her safety as well as all of them who are working with those who have the virus or potentially exposed to the virus. Let's look at God's Word this morning. A man was asked by a friend of his to dog sit the family's Irish setter. The Irish setter's name was Max. And so the man was looking after Max, and he was sitting on the, the back porch of the house, and the backyard was fenced, fenced in. And he was sitting there petting Max and admiring his beautiful coat of hair when all of a sudden Max took off running across the yard. And the man happened to look to see what Max was after and he saw a shadow of a bird going across the yard. And as he watched, he saw the bird, the shadow of the bird, go towards the shadow of a tree. Now the neighbor had a tree whose shadow was being cast into that backyard. So the shadow of the bird was going along the ground, and Max was chasing as hard as he could after the shadow of that bird, but then the shadow of the bird disappeared into the shadow of the tree. And then Max, bless his heart, didn't know what to do. He stopped looking around, confused. He dug his claws in. His eyes were focused. His muscles were tense. But he could not find out where that bird went. And that story reminded me of how often we as human beings get focused on things of the world that are just a shadow of what is real. 
And I thought about King David. Because King David, for a a momentary feeling of pleasure, committed adultery with another man's wife. And then for a momentary feeling of satisfaction, he had that woman's husband killed. What was going on in David's heart when he did all of that? David shows us here in Psalms 26. And so if you haven't turned in your copy of God's Word to Psalms 26, please do so because we're going to see what went on in David's heart. How was it that David could commit the two biggest sins in our eyes, adultery and murder, and yet turn back to God? Why was it the case that David did not stay stuck in sin. You know, before David even enters the picture, God is talking in 1 Samuel chapter 13, and God says that David is a man after his own heart. And so this morning as we study Psalms 26, we're going to take a look at the heart of David. And when we look at Psalms 26 and we look into the heart of David, we're going to see that David's heart was not wrapped around sex. David's heart was not wrapped around vengeance. David's heart was wrapped around God. And that's how David was able to stay faithful to God even though he committed these very bad sins. Next month in April, Rachel and I will fulfill our first six years as the minister here at Swartz Creek. And in April, we'll start the seventh year. And I told you when I moved here that I was going to preach through the book of Psalms and then retire. Six Psalms every year for 25 years. And so I went back and counted just to make sure I'm staying on track. And sure enough, I preached 36 Psalms. So out of the 150 psalms, we've, we've studied 36 of them together. This morning I want us to look at Psalms 26. Notice in verse 1 that David says that he did not waver. And then in verse 12, David says his feet were standing on a level ground. And so what was it that David do? to keep his heart focused on God. Let's take a look. In verse 1, David writes, God, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. First of all, the word vindicate means to judge. And so David is calling on God to judge him. Because, he says, I have walked in my integrity. The Hebrew word translated integrity here means complete. It means perfect. In the law of Moses, it's a word used to describe animals that were 
imperfect specimens that were to be used in animal sacrifices. And so David here says to God, he says, Judge me because I have walked in completeness in my integrity. And that integrity means that David trusted in God. David says, I haven't wavered, God, because I have trusted in you. David knew that God would not save him in his sin, and so David had to repent. But he trusted that God would save him from his sin. Living a life of integrity means that we trust God. Jesus, of course, famously says in John chapter 14 and verse 1, You trust God? Trust also in me. And so we're going to get through this crisis of this virus because we trust God to do the right thing. And we also trust God to do the right thing in our lives. Second of all, if we're going to live a, a life that is faithful to God, despite the sins that we tend to commit from time to time, if we're going to stay faithful to God, we're going to live a life that is an open book. A life that is open for God to look at. Look at verse 2. Notice in verse 2 that David gives God three commands he says to God, God, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Examine, try, and test. Now the word test here is used in context of working with metals where you put metals in fire in order to heat up the metal, to purify them, and to make them soft where you can mold them. But here David says, God, I want to live a life that's open to you. I'm not trying to hide anything from God. I want Him to look, in fact, at the very deepest parts of my life. That's the idea behind him saying, test my mind... The original Hebrew word means kidneys. I guess I should point to the back, right? Or, or the intestines. So the intestines or the kidneys or the mind and the heart is the deepest part of man. David says, I'm opening my life, God, to you so that you can examine me. My desires, my motivations, my, my intentions, my agenda... We need to live a life that is open to God. The Hebrew writer reminds us in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit that is sharper than a sword with two edges. So sharp it is that it can penetrate to divide between the soul and the spirit and even the joints and the marrow and can judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Family, we need to live a life that's an open book before God. And we need to live, as James talks about in James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, where he compares the Word of God to a mirror. 
and we look into that mirror and we see what needs to be changed in our lives and we change our lives because we see in the mirror that something is not right. David lived an open book life which helped him stay faithful to God. Number three, we need to walk in God's truth. God's truthfulness, or we might say God's faithfulness. David says in verse 3, For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Loving kindness there is that Hebrew word that is translated steadfast love. It carries the idea of loyalty. And so the word steadfast love or loving kindness or loyalty coupled with a reference to God's truth here in verse 3 is covenant language. And so David says that I'm going to walk according to God's covenant. David knew that God was loyal to the covenant that he had made. And so when David sinned, but then repented of those sins and got his life back in line with the covenant of God, then he knew that God would forgive him. He says here that I have your loving kindness notice before my eyes and that the concept there of before really literally means that he kept God's loving kindness right there in front of him. So family, I ask you, do you live your life from day to day keeping the loving kindness of God in front of you all the time? David says that's what he did. And he said, I walked in God's truth. The word truth here doesn't really refer to the Bible as truth. It refers to God being true. It's really referring to God's faithfulness. The idea that we can trust God because He is true. God doesn't change. That's God's faithfulness. And Brandon read this verse this morning at the Lord's table, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, where John encourages us. He, he tells us that we need to keep God's loving kindness in front of our eyes for Christians if we confess our sins. He is faithful, notice that word, faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Family, how do we stay faithful to God when we sin? We walk in God's faithfulness, God's truthfulness. Verse 4, live an honest life. David says, I don't sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. And so David says, I'm not going to associate with those people who are deceitful. That word can be translated as worthless. It, it carries the idea of people who are wicked, who are evil. He says, I'm not going to go with those who pretend. Those who put on a front. Those who put on a show. There are people in this world who hide their agendas. They hide their motivations. They hide their desires. They are people who don't live an honest life. They act one way here and they act another way there. And David says, that's not for me. I'm not going to live that way. 
I'm going to live an open life, an honest life. I'm going to be true to my convictions. Jesus criticized the Pharisees very harshly in Matthew chapter 23 because of their hypocrisy. In fact, the word hypocrite is found 18 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus was willing to let people know that they were not being true to what they knew was the right thing. David said, I'm going to live an honest life. Number five, if we want to stay faithful to God, we cannot associate with evil. We cannot associate with those who are not helping us walk with God. Look at what David says in verse 5. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Now these evildoers, are, it's a synonym, of course, with wicked, and I don't know what they were doing. I don't know what kind of evil they were performing, but David says, I'm not going to associate with them. I'm not going to assemble together with those who are going to pull my heart away from God. That is such an important concept that God has called on His people of all times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Don't associate with evil. I saw the Apostle Paul 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, where in fact he quotes a couple of passages from the Old Testament. But fundamentally, Paul says, we don't need to be bound together with unbelievers. He says, we don't need to have partnership with the lawless. We don't need to have fellowship with darkness. It's the same thing David is saying here in Psalms 26. I'm not going to associate with the evil. He could have found himself spending more time with people who committed adultery on a regular basis, who, who found joy in being unfaithful to their spouse. He could have associated with those who found joy in murdering innocent people. David could have done that. But he didn't. And we see beginning in verse 6, a focus on worship. How did David stay faithful to God? Let's look at verse 6. David says, I wash my hands. I shall wash my hands in innocence, and I will go about your altar, O Lord. The word innocence here carries the idea of purity. Our culture wants to mold us into its own image. Our culture wants us to talk like them. Our culture wants us to dress like them. Our culture wants us to live like them to pull us away from Jesus Christ. But family, there's nothing wrong with being pure in the eyes of God. There's nothing wrong with being innocent of evil in the eyes of God. It's okay to be naive about wickedness in this world. David says, I want to be in God's presence pure. I want to be innocent of wrongdoing in God's eyes. The reference here to the altar is a reference to worship. 
We're going to get to that point in just a moment, but I want to emphasize here that at, from this point in verse 6, now we're looking at the context of worship. David says, I want to be in God's presence innocent of wrongdoing. The Hebrew writer challenges Christians, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, that we need to come to God with a sincere faith. That is, we need to live lives of innocence. Having a heart that is sprinkled by the blood of Christ from an evil conscience. And having bodies that are washed with water. An obvious reference to baptism. Family, we need, if we want to live faithful to God, we need to live a life of innocence. It's to stay away from sin and evil and wickedness as much as possible. In the context of worship, verse 6, David says in verse 7 that he also wants to talk to other people about God. Back in verse 6, he says, I want to walk around the altar of the Lord. Notice verse 7 begins with the word that. T-H-A-T. It shows purpose. And so David says, I want to walk around the altar. I want to worship God with the purpose that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. David says in worship, I want to evangelize. Family, our worship really ought to motivate us to evangelize. It ought to motivate us to want to share something with other people that we learned in worship, that we learned in Bible study. To call more people to come worship God. And David says, I want to proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving. The word thanksgiving there also could be translated praise. I want to praise God and I want to call other people. I want to declare all your wonders. Beginning with creation. And including the exodus out of Egypt. And including the things that God did personally for David. All of those wonders, David says. I want to declare them. I want to talk to other people about Jehovah God. David stayed faithful to God because he realized God had done great things for him. And he wanted to share those great things for others. The Apostle Peter tells us a very similar thing in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 where Peter says that the church of Christ is a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a peculiar people. Notice what he says. That for the purpose that we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us into His marvelous light. That's evangelism. That's sharing the truth of God with those who need to hear it. Number eight. Now we come to the point about worship. How did David stay faithful to God despite the sins that he committed? Because he never turned his back on the public assembly of worship. Verse eight. David says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place 
where your glory dwells. David wanted to come to worship. The word habitation here could be translated also refuge. It's a place of safety. David, of course, lived before the temple was built. The temple was built by his son Solomon. So David is talking about the tent of worship. And when Moses built the tent of worship in the book of Exodus, once he had built the tent according to the pattern that God had revealed to him at Mount Sinai, then the glory of the Lord, notice what David is talking about here. He says the glory of the Lord dwells there. The glory of the Lord came and dwelt in that tent. God's presence in worship. God's glorious presence had been with the Israelites throughout the wilderness for 40 years. Sometimes God's presence appeared as a pillar of clouds. Sometimes God's presence appeared as a pillar of fire. Today as Christians, we have the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Found in Jesus Christ. He is the exact representation of the nature of God. Hebrews 1 and verse 3. And we have Jesus Christ. In fact, those of us who have been immersed into Christ, we are united together with Christ who is the glory of God. That's why we worship. We praise God in worship because of who He is and what He has done for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we worship Jesus Christ because of what He has sacrificed for us. If we want to stay faithful to God, we have to stay faithful in worship. That's why the Hebrew writer tells us, Hebrews 10 and verse 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because it helps us stay faithful to God. Verse 9. Again, David talks about avoiding who you hang around. Avoiding the associations of those who are going to pull your heart away from God. Verse 9. David pictures God's judgment as a net that God throws out from heaven and He gathers up all of the wicked and the sinners and David says, I don't want to be among them. Do not take me Take my soul away along with the sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed. David sees God casting that net of judgment, and David says, I don't want to be caught up with those who don't respect other people. In fact, those who kill other people, those who take bloodshed. David wanted to avoid the trap 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33 is a scripture that should be engraved on the heart of all of our teenagers and our preteens as well as our as well as adults bad companionship corrupts good morals and that verse applies to your spouse as closely as to anyone because once you get married, nobody influences your life more than your spouse. David says, I'm going to avoid the trap of evil. Number 10, David says, in order to stay faithful to God, I am going to live a simple life. 
live a simple life. Verse 10, David is still talking about those evil men, the men of bloodshed, but he says in verse 10, in their hands is wicked schemes, and their right hand is full of bribes. Again, these are people who keep their desires hidden. They keep their motivations hidden. They keep their agenda hidden. But they're scheming evil. And they're asking for bribes. When you live by bribes, you complicate life. When we lived in Romania, we had to deal with bribes from time to time. In a society that does not live by the rule of law, you open the door wide open to bribes. But when you, bribe, when you pay this man's bribe, then the next time you come back to him, he's going to be asking for something more. And when this man over here finds out that you've paid this man a bribe, then he's going to be asking for a bribe, and it just complicates life. But when you live by the honesty and the truthfulness that Jesus Christ requires, you say no to bribes. We never paid a bribe when we lived in Romania. Sometimes it made life complicated in the short term, but we believe in the long term it was for the best in order to stay faithful to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul tells the Christians in Corinth that the serpent had deceived Eve. The serpent had made things more complicated. The simple life is, God said don't eat of that tree, you don't eat of it. That's simple. Satan comes along and he complicated it. Paul told the Christians in Corinth he was afraid that they were being deceived by false teachers among their number who were leading their hearts away from, notice the word, the simplicity and the devotion to Jesus Christ. David wanted to live a simple life. A life that was just devoted to Jehovah God. Number 11. David lived a redeemed life. He lived a redeemed life. He knew that God had forgiven him because of God's faithfulness. He says in verse 11, But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. There's that word again. My completeness, my wholeness. I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. David knew that God would redeem him. The verb redeem comes from the slave trade, of course, is buying a man and giving him his freedom. David saw himself that way in the eyes of God, that God had paid for him through these animal sacrifices that David offered, and God had set him free. And he says, be gracious to me. Give me, God, what I don't deserve. Family, if we're going to stay faithful to God, we need to live a redeemed life. The Apostle Paul writes in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 that Jesus Christ has redeemed us from this world in order to purify us as a peculiar people, His own possessions, zealous for good works. And so the price that is paid to redeem us from the slavery of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. But how do, how do we live a redeemed life? Paul tells us that in the same context. In verse 12, 
Paul says that the grace of God has taught us that we need to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And so if we're going to live a faithful life to God, then we live knowing that we're saved, we're redeemed. We are recipients of the grace of God. Now that doesn't excuse us to live a life of sin. It motivates us to live a life, Paul says in that context, a life that is zealous for good works. Why? Because we want to give God our heart and soul, mind and strength. Because He gave His Son for us. Number 12. You know, if I had started this sermon by saying, I've got 12 points, you all would have fainted. Point number 12. Verse 12. How did David stay faithful to God? He said, my foot stands on a level place. You remember back in verse 1, he says, I'm not wavering. Here in verse 12, he says, my feet are standing on a level place. In the congregations I shall bless the Lord. It comes back around to that relationship with Jehovah God. The word bless here carries the idea of praising God. Praising God, in fact, for the blessings that He gives us. So, so it's a synonym for the idea of worship. David wanted a relationship with God more than anything else. And that's how God, David could stay faithful to God. Despite the adultery, despite the, the, the murder, despite the pride that motivated him, the number of the nation of Israel, you remember that story? David says, I want to bless the Lord. I want to stand in the middle of His assembly of saints and bless the Lord. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. The Lamb that was slain is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and glory, and honor, and blessings. David wanted to live a life that was dedicated to honoring God. He sinned, yes. He did what he could to make it right. He couldn't bring back the life of Uriah. That was gone. He couldn't undo that. But he repented of that attitude of sinfulness. And he came back to worship. And he said, God, I want to do it right. David was able to live a life that was faithful to God because he followed these steps that he outlined for us in Psalms 26. And in God's wisdom, he preserved Psalms 26 for all of the rest of the Israelites who would live after King David and for all of the Christians who would live after King David. Family, we can stay faithful to God. Despite the sins that we commit sometimes, we can stay faithful to God if we follow the steps that David has outlined here in Psalms 26.